40, 150 years before Christ. And then it was rebuilt and resettled by Julius Caesar in around about 46 to 44 BC. So it provided the city of Corinth a brand new start. Corinth was an important an important city and a prosperous cosmopolitan centre of trade. It had two arbours, the west and the east, and the city there controlled the trade moving from north to south, from east to west. It was also a Roman colony, so that its citizens were mainly Romans, but many of the trade links encouraged craftsmen and also the slaves that were freed settled here in Corinth. It was a mishmash of societies and people groups. It was described as the vanity fair of the ancient world. It was the ancient world's equivalent of Los Angeles or New York and Las Vegas all rolled into one. Well, you can imagine what that might look like. It was known for its wealth, its luxury, its vices, and particularly its sexual immorality. It was a place of many mysterious religions from Egypt and from Asia Minor. And so there were shrines of all sorts of varieties of many gods dotted around the city and temple prostitutes to serve. A major feature of the, of the city was that there were travelling philosophers who would come into town, stand on their soapbox, spout forth and share their pearls of wisdom and then move on elsewhere. This was the Corinth previously visited, if you read in Acts chapter 18. And he was there for around about 18 months to two years when he planted the church. You can see Corinth here, there's Athens. And he's now writing from Ephesus across the waters. And Paul is beginning to get some messages back from people who are are, are witnesses of what they're hearing and seeing. He's received some letters as well as to what's going on. And it caused him great concern. It's a church that he pastorally cared over. He planted and now he was hearing all sorts of stuff. And so he writes with a pastoral heart to the church. He writes around about two or three years after he'd left it. You know, there was one commentator who had said, who had said, um, not commentator, preacher I heard, who had said when Paul was writing to the church in Corinth with all its messiness, he could have made it quite short and simple and he could have said, he could have said, stop it now. <laughs> it was one of those situations where pastorally he wanted to bang their heads together and say, come on, get your act together. You know, we're the same human beings that they were. And we can behave in similar ways too. 
And one of the challenges for the church in Corinth, but it's also for the challenges for us today, is that the people in Corinth were coming to know the Lord Jesus as their saviour. They were leaving their gods and goddesses. They were leaving something of their immoral ways in one way or the other. And they were beginning to form the church. The problem was, they were bringing their culture from the outside and it was affecting their attitudes and behaviour inside in the church. And they thought it was okay because they were now freeing Christ, weren't they? And if they were freeing Christ, couldn't they do whatever they want? Wouldn't God forgive everything? And of course we have the same challenges. We bring into church our own culture, whether that's a Norfolk culture or a northern culture. We bring that in, we bring in our background, our upbringing, how we were brought up. Some of us may be well-mannered, others may be not. You know what it was, I know what it was like when I first met my wife and I went to, I went to uh, have uh, my first meal with her parents and it was all laid out with knives and forks and spoons. I have to say it was very rare. We had knives and forks in my house. Fork or a spoon or... But of course the etiquettes as well and all those little things. I'm not criticising. All I'm saying is sometimes, certainly as you, when you get married, there can be a culture clash, can't there? Oh, well, we do this. Oh, well, we do that. Well, we call it dinner. And you call it tea. And so you can see how today for us, and to, as for them, you bring in all of those ways and cultures into the life of the church. One commentator said, This required radical surgery without killing the patient off. And this was what Paul attempts to do to do some radical surgery and to get their heart, heart surgery, to get them in the right place. You see, because they had now been brought from the dominion of darkness into the dominion of light. And so there's a responsibility to live as people of the light, not as you once lived. And so a central theme running throughout this letter of Paul is the foolishness and power of God versus the wisdom and power of mankind. The first problem being presented to Paul in, in those early verses there of chapter 1 was that there was a division in the body. He was getting the message that there was a division, that some were saying, well, I'm followers of, uh, of um, this person. Well, I'm followers of Apollos. Well, I'm followers of Cephas. And you know, the issue is, it's not about a personality contest. And I hope there's never a day when you say, and I'm a follower of Steve Thomason. Or I'm a follower of Bill Johnson or whoever else is out there. Because you see, when you put people on a pedestal, you know what happens eventually. History tells us many times, one is they're going to disappoint and often they might fall off. And Paul's saying, don't exalt all these different leaders. Oh, wasn't he a wonderful preacher and I'm going to follow him. 
Or wasn't, wasn't his wisdom particularly great? Wasn't he great pastorally? You know what? God uses the weak and foolish things. And Paul goes on in chapter 2 to say, I came to you in weakness. He was saying, I'm not the most eloquent of preachers and things, but it was the power of God that was at work in and through him that the change came to people's lives. So Paul's already confronting and saying, stop having a popularity contest here. You're not followers of this person or that person. You're followers of Christ. So keep Christ central in all of your discipleship. And it seems that the gospel message may have become blurred because, well, I prefer what such and such a body was said. Well, I prefer what such and such the other person says. It's never a good sign, you know, when a body is divided. Never a good sign. You only have to think of your own human body. If your own human body is divided and it isn't working in sync with everything else, it's never a good sign. And Paul begins to speak in to this challenging situation. There's a danger that we too can water down the gospel message. And we make it more palatable for those that need to hear it. And so we may respond back by saying, well, or people may say, well, I'm not really that bad, am I? Or we use phrases like, well, he wouldn't hurt a fly. He's the salt of the earth. You want to see how much they gave to charity last year? They don't miss a Sunday. All roads lead to heaven. It doesn't matter what you believe in they all lead to the same God in one way or another you can see how the gospel message gets blurred but also made more palatable for everybody to think oh it's okay all things to all men but actually we discover that the message of the cross is offensive and is challenging and we read it for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to those who are being saved it's the power of God the cross has always been the central message if you like of the Christian story it was never meant to be a fashion statement it's a reminder of a sacrificial love and the Romans dominated their empire through fear and the cross of crucifixion sought, it, sought to destroy anyone who tried to revolt and set themselves against Caesar Caesar was seen as divine himself the cross crossed people out if you like there's a history, as I began to think about this, of what humankind might see as the foolishness of God. You see, it was the foolishness of God that he created humankind from dust. 
and he made them stewards of creation and he gave them the gift of free will. How foolish, God. How silly. If I was God, I would have wanted to have taken complete control. Or what about expecting an elderly couple, Abraham and Sarah, to have a child and be the father of many nations? God, it won't work. I would have chosen a much more fertile couple with plenty of energy to leave a lasting legacy. Or what about Moses? He was asked, travelling with thousands of travellers behind him, and being pursued by the Egyptians to use the escape route of the Red Sea. I mean, completely bonkers. That's foolish. Or asking Gideon to reduce his army down from 22,000 to 300 men to fight the Midianites. Hi, if I was God, I would have recruited the biggest army possible to overwhelm the opposition. How foolish of God. Josiah, Josiah, sorry, that's my grandson, as well as the king, <laughs> Joshua, was asked to walk around the walls of Jericho seven times and blow and give a blast of the trumpets and a shout, and the walls came down. <laughs> Surely not. That's not how we do things around here. God chose a young virgin to carry and give birth to the Son of God. Are you mad? It's impossible. He needs to wrap the Son of God up in bubble wrap, be born in a palace. How foolish, God, you are! To choose a death on a cross, not for his own sins, to pay the price for whosoever, and to rise again from the dead. God it won't work you're deluded it's a fairy tale surely it's foolishness well if it was down to me I wouldn't be able to offer my son as a sacrifice it just wouldn't happen for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger the man's strength you see in all of those stories one of the common denominator was that it wasn't our way it was God's way it wasn't our thoughts it was God's thoughts and it would also become evident that if any of these foolish ways were to come to pass then it had to be the Lord's doing Paul goes on to say I'm not sure what you're preaching I'm not sure what gospel you're preaching but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles Christ crucified surely there must be another way charity giving acts of kindness but sadly there is no other way. He came to pay a debt he didn't owe because we owed a debt we couldn't pay. 
and Christ was crucified. And if we don't preach Christ crucified, then it's not the gospel from God's words. The word translated stumbling block here in this passage of it became a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. It's the word that we get scandal from. The cross became a scandal. It became a stumbling block. It was scandalous. It was not just tripping people up. People were gobsmacked. It was a disgrace. And humanity hasn't changed. There are those who demand a power sign from heaven and those who are demanding a logical evidence to believe. Unless I see this miraculous act, I'm not going to believe there's a God. As though God is at my beck and call. <laughs> but we've all heard people say that. Until I see it for myself. Or maybe there's the others, the thinkers, the logical bits. It makes it sound so I'm illogical but I'm not but those who say I just want some evidence I want to just work this all out I want to see how the equation is before I believe you see the challenge is we walk by faith and not just by sight we're given sufficient look at the cross you want a miracle look at the cross did anybody give their life for you I mean who are you anyway what a miracle that is. What a scandal that God should give up himself for you. You want a miracle? You look to the cross. That God should lay down his life for you. And if you want some evidence, there's plenty of stuff to research. Look at the, do the research read the historical books, do the archaeological searches, and do you know what? Every time they come to the conclusion that the, Jesus was definitely a person who walked on planet Earth, and Jesus was somebody who definitely historically went to the cross, but they also come to the conclusion that the tomb is still empty. Now what do I do with that? A crucified Christ is a stumbling block. It's a scandal. To the Jews, the Jews demanded miraculous signs. They wanted a Messiah who would perform miracles on their behalf. And we might say, surely they'd seen and heard many healings and miraculous signs of Jesus whilst he was around. But their focus and image of the Messiah was one who would overthrow the Romans like the Maccabees did a hundred years before and restore the kingdom of God by force. It was a God in their own eyes and they missed it. The Jews wanted a triumphant saviour, not a crucified one. A triumphant saviour, one who would restore the kingdom to Israel. The cross, in particular for the Jews, was 
a scandal and a stumbling block to them because in there in the scripture in Deuteronomy it tells them that anyone who hangs on a tree is a curse so when they saw Jesus hanging on the tree they saw that as a symbol of divine judgment a rejection by God and he was cursed Paul goes on to explain a man who was well read and a scholar of the Old Testament scriptures and he writes to the Galatians explaining the the revelation and the plan of God that Christ accepted the full punishment of our sin and thus becoming a curse for us so when they saw Jesus on the cross they rejected him and they crucified him Jesus came unto his own and his own received him not it was a stumbling block a crucified Christ and to the Greeks and to the Gentiles they saw the cross as foolishness the Greeks saw the crucified a a crucified criminal could in no way be a messiah and a dead one at that I mean that's logical isn't it from the Greeks point of view how can a dead guy on the cross come to rescue me it's not logical the Greeks placed value and worth on wisdom and wisdom gained by knowledge and philosophies and education and so the thought perhaps running through their minds would have been surely the Messiah would have had the wisdom to have escaped or avoided the cross it contradicted their value system in the Greek mind thinking they understood that the spirit world that they couldn't see was good and that anything material the flesh was evil so just imagine if that's your thinking process the spirit world is good the flesh is evil so the thought of God becoming flesh was just foolish talk we hear the arguments today of doing away with God of pleasing ourselves of relying upon our own wisdom and our own efforts atheism throughout humankind has sought to do away with God they speak of us needing to be rational and logical and evidence based for what we believe but let me just say turn that question around and ask them how rational and logical or evidence based is their belief in no God at all sadly it seems when we cut God out of the equation it's a challenge to people's moral compass as to how they would behave or treat others where's their foundation what are they measuring it on if you cut God out of the equation then we have no answer for evil in our world if you cut God out of the equation then where do you go with those senses of guilt 
us. If we cut God out of our world, how do we hope to offer? How do we offer hope, sorry, to those who are suffering? Take the cross out of the equation and there is hope. Many still look at the cross and see a madman dying and join in the insults and the jeers from of old. He saved others, let him save himself. But of course we miss the point that if he saved himself, he couldn't save others. You see, the cross doesn't look like success story. It doesn't look very powerful, a, ha- a guy hanging on the cross there. It doesn't look victorious. It looks like a defeat. It looks like weakness. It looks like a failure. The cross was a scandalous thought that a Messiah would die. Would that be the end of it all? I mean, who in the name of wisdom would have dreamed up a crucified Messiah? Only God is so wise as to be so foolish. What do you see when you look at the cross this morning? For the world around Paul in Corinth and even today all seems foolishness criminal a laughing stock it's a stumbling block it causes an offence to say to someone that they're a sinner or however we unpack that word that we've fallen short of God that we're not quite enough. People are offended by it. Well, I've not done this and I've not been as bad as person. We justify, don't we, ourselves? I'm not as bad as him over there and I'm not as bad as her and I haven't done the other. But who are we measuring it up against? Well, if you're measuring it up against me, you've got a good chance with God. But if you're measuring up against Jesus, you'll fall well short. You need a saviour. And when we talk of a crucified Christ today, it can become a stumbling block for some. And they reject him, as folk over the centuries have rejected him. It seems to me that our, our world wants a God that it can manipulate, just like they did 2,000 years ago there in Corinth that they can make images and little temples so that God will do what we would want him to do. Are you looking for a powerful miracle? Then look at the cross and look at Christ dying for you. If nothing else touches you, then allow the saint to come and rescue you. Because we are loved by him and there was no other way to save yourself. It's ridiculous, I know. We can't tame the gospel. It continues to be offensive to many. 
the cross will remain a scandal because it is. I mean, why should a holy God die for a sinner like me? The exchange on the cross where Jesus gives me forgiveness and peace and reconciliation and hope and eternity. And I give him grief and pain and sin. It's a scandal. It's unbelievable. If our greatest need says Max Lucado and you've heard this before if our greatest need had been information God would have sent an educator if our greatest need had been technology God would have sent a scientist if our greatest need had been money God would have sent us an economist but our greatest need was forgiveness and sent us a saint And for those that look and see, in Christ, God sent His Son to save us from the wages of sin, which is death. And He offers us eternal life. There is indeed resurrection and power in the cross at work in and through us as an exchange takes place and my filthy rags of righteousness are taken off and I put on the robes of righteousness that Christ gives me. There's an exchange that takes place that once I was lost and fatherless and now I'm welcomed home and part of the family. There's an exchange that has taken place and it's not just you know the whosoever he did die for the whosoever but Paul makes it quite personal when he writes to the church in Galatia he says the son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me and he gave himself for you the power of God on display for all to see and to weigh up. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And Paul sought to try and get Christ set back to being central about all that they were doing, to not preach any other wishy-washy, nice little gospel that made everybody else feel a bit more comfortable but to preach the radical crucified Christ which would make people feel uncomfortable and in need of a saviour and that's exactly the same today and take note that there was no third option here it's you're either for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing you're either perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. There's no third option of sitting on the fence. You can neither be half perishing and half saved. And people have often said sitting on the fe- fence is the most painful place to get. If nothing else, you get splinters. And I would just want to urge you this morning, if you haven't taken that step of faith coming to him and I don't understand it all God 
you don't have to understand it all. But recognising that Christ died for you on the cross. That's the important thing. And we take that step of faith. And we acknowledge that he died for my sin. And so that's why we say, I'm sorry God, I hold my hands up. And sometimes the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance, I don't think you have to go looking for stuff, what what have I done in the past? The Spirit of God brings to remembrance maybe attitudes, maybe things we've done, maybe whatever. And we simply bring it before God and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I need a Saviour. Thank you for coming and rescuing me. And there's a, a welcome in. Scripture says, and to those that receive him, come to my heart, Lord Jesus, is one of those old hymns. There is room in my heart for you. There's a welcoming in to receive him. And scripture says, and for those that receive him, it says they have a right. People are fighting for rights these days, aren't they? Ah, I've got a right for this and a right for that. From scripture, it simply says, there's there's one right here. You receive Christ to come in as Lord. You've now got a right. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. You've got a right to be declared a son and daughter of the living God. Whether you feel it or not, that's the step of faith but it seems to me my experience is when we've taken that step then things begin to fall into place and we begin to view the cross differently and we begin to open God's word up differently and we allow God to begin to speak to us afresh that veil of sin if you like has been lifted the scales have been moved from our eyes and we're beginning to see Jesus as our Lord and as our saviour we don't preach any other gospel than that in this place if you want a nicer more comfortable one you might have to go elsewhere but we preach Christ crucified because we believe it's a matter of life and death please that I'm urging you don't continue to keep sitting on the fence if you've been sitting on the fence but it seems to me the challenge is step off the fence and make that move and if you've never made that move before, maybe this is your God moment. Maybe this is your God moment. And maybe, I'm going to lead in a prayer in a minute, or you might want to use the prayer space there for other folk to come. Or you might want to come and speak to somebody that you feel safe with. And just say, I think I'm there. I want to, how do, what do I do? What do I do? nobody's arms up their back but Father's arms are wide open to welcome us home that the lost might be found shall we pray Father we thank you that we acknowledge that you loved us so much that when we were far off and dead in our sins Christ came for us and died for me died for us Lord we're sorry we're sorry Lord if we've watered down that sacrificial love message we're sorry if we've tried to make it easy peasy and cut out any sacrifice 
Lord we pray that you would help us to be a people who is true to your words and preaches Christ crucified that people might come into a genuine relationship with the living God Lord we pray you would help us to be faithful that as we lift the name of Jesus high in this place you would draw young and old to yourself and we pray Lord you would help us to live like people who are, pe- who are gospel people who are good news people Lord we recognise that there will be times when people throw it back in our face but help us to be faithful in living as good news people and reminding people that they are loved by a God Lord for those of us that have been on the way for some time and are saying amen to nearly everything just give us a fresh revelation of the wonder of the cross and of all that that took out of Christ fully human and fully God's full of grace and full of truth for those that have been sitting on the fence and have felt challenged this morning and feel as though I just need to make a move here I've been dithering for some time I've been unsure and maybe now's the moment then to help you I'm just going to say a prayer and in the quietness of your heart you might want to use this and make it your own prayer Heavenly Father, thank you that you loved me when I was far off. Thank you that Jesus came and died for me on the cross that I might be forgiven and set free. I'm sorry for the things that I've done in my life. Lord, have mercy and forgive me. I now turn from everything which I know is wrong. and I turn to you thank you that you offer me and the gift of your spirit I now welcome receive that gift 
please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. That I might claim my right of being called a child of God. Help me from this day onwards to keep my eyes on you and to live well for your kingdom's sake. I ask it in the name of Jesus.